G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. If you happen to be a naturally good or gifted storyteller, you have a very valuable gift. We love conversations with people who can tell a good story, especially if it's a funny story. And for those of us who are not so gifted, we might be encouraged that there could be some skills in storytelling that can be learned. And perhaps there is an art to storytelling that we can all learn, making us better communicators. Well, our special guest today has just released a book called Are You Getting This? It's a saying he often uses in his own teaching, preaching and storytelling. It's about storytelling and how those stories pass on gathered wisdom, the stories we tell reveal much about our own identity. They convey responsibility. They instill values and they uncover truth. Robert Ferguson is a sought-after preacher and teacher globally. He's part of the teaching team at Hillsong Church in Sydney. He's also the host of Hillsong Channel's original series called What Do You See? And his new book is called Are You Getting This? Robert Ferguson, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. It's a real honour to be with you and talking to you and your listeners. Robert, are you getting this? Uh, This is one of your well-known sayings as a preacher. Uh, People hear that when you're preaching to them, whether it's uh, in person or whether it's online or whether it's in any of your series. Uh, The significance of that as the title of your book, give us a little insight here. Well, it's become a little mantra of mine, and a friend many years ago said, if you ever write a book on communication, you should call it, Are You Getting This? And it just instills my passion for people to receive an idea, to understand a concept. And occasionally, I get a little frustrated as a teacher, and I just find myself saying, Are You Getting This? And I get teased for it mercilessly, but uh, I think it is a phrase that captures my passion and my heart for communication. Uh, One of those sayings, too, that no doubt sets the reset button with your audience and says, oh, if I'm drifting, I come back, I reset, and I'm back on track again. So a powerful saying in its own right. Hey, I know listeners will be able to detect a little of your English accent. You say you're English by birth, Australian by choice, and European by taste. Uh, It makes you a a typical Aussie in some sense. Well, that's right. I came to Australia uh, 30 years ago just for a two-year contract, and I've been here ever since. And I say European by taste, but because because I'm English, people assume that I like drinking tea all the time, but actually I prefer coffee. So... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, does that mean that you drive a European car? No, <laughs> that, that could, it could be the case, but actually it's a Japanese car. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robert, just a little aside, and it is a part of our conversation today, but you're also intimately connected 
to all of the Hillsong songs that have ever been released. You and your wife Amanda have a unique role that you sign off on every song that's produced by Hillsong. Give us a little uh, touch of the history here and, and what that means. Yes, well, I feel it's a huge honour and a privilege. As a church, we've had the opportunity and honour to be able to write songs that have gone all over the world, and we want them to be as best as uh, as good as possible. And so our, our very professional team are... Uh, humble enough to submit every single song before it is published. And in effect, my wife Amanda and I act as quality control. So if you if you don't like one of our songs, you can blame me. But the truth is we want it to reflect the truth of the Bible. We want it to be positive. We want it to encourage people to find answers and find solutions. So we we do. We check all the songs. And as I say, the songwriters are very gracious. And if we suggest a change, uh, they make the changes. Well, I'm honoured to be talking to you because time and again over decades, I think I have found myself defending Hillsong songs. And, uh, and I'll often say, but you know what? These are, some of them, like modern hymns, uh, the content is what you get as something that is outstanding in Hillsong music. And so uh, talking to you today, Robert, uh, you know, honour to you because, uh, yes, I think, and this is my own personal opinion, l- listeners might have their own thoughts too, but, but Hillsong music has always had a certain level of integrity and content and uh, in talking to you today, uh, that's uh, certainly an honour because you've had a real role in that. Yes, and I, as I say, I think it's a, it's a huge honour and a privilege. And we say to people, if you genuinely don't like the songs, that's fine. You don't need to sing them. But thankfully, millions of people do, and for which we are immensely grateful to God. Robert, let's talk about your book. You liken your own journey as a storyteller to understanding people and telling stories and uh, you actually liken that to this idea of transforming into a computer age coming to grips with the technology and making those sorts of changes that can help make a difference give us your own thoughts here on your journey and uh, the story that you like to tell about computers yes well in the in the book i talk about the fact that uh, when i was studying computers back in the 60s I had never even seen one, let alone used one. And so when they taught me computer language, I just didn't get it. And I remember the frustration. I remember the shame even of not being able to get something. And I realized in retrospect that that feeling of not getting it has what has fueled my desire for people to get it. I know what it feels like not to get it, so I purposefully encourage people to get it. In fact, in that computer classroom, I actually put my pen down in frustration and anger, and I still have that pen today to remind me of that moment, of that feeling of not being able to understand something. And I think a lot of your listeners would appreciate that. Maybe it's not computing, maybe it's another area, but they just don't get it. Well, I know what that feels like, hence the book. I'm encouraging you to learn how to get a concept, how to understand a concept and how to communicate it effectively 
so that other people can get it. And no doubt some of your teachers would be quite dismayed because you chewed the end of your pencil and you chewed the end of your favourite pen. <laughs> yes, uh, there, there are anxious tooth marks on it and I'm sure many people can, uh, can <laughs> agree with me on that. Now, your book addresses, to just put this in a context here, and we'll get into some of the content because listeners, no doubt, will be fascinated by this idea of there being a bit of a a science or an art to storytelling, but you address 20 big ideas in your book. Give us a little idea about those 20 ideas and what difference they make to the storyteller who really wants to be a great communicator. Yeah, well, I think people say that there is a gift and an art and a, a, a gift and an art and a science to storytelling. And some people just have the gift. They just have the gift of the gab. Some people uh, need to appreciate the art, but all of us can learn the science. And as a former scientist, I like to have step-by-step process in terms of how to do something. So I Uh, endeavor to do that in the book. I unpack how stories work and how we can be more effective at them. It's all very well being a good storyteller, isn't it? But telling a story is one thing, and lots of people can tell a great story, and it can be entertaining, but the content of the story is something that you're saying is ultimately important for the Christian believer. Uh, Give us an idea here about what depth there is or what new dimension you introduce when, when you're a Christian believer and you want to tell stories. Well, I think if you, if you look at Jesus' stories, his parables, uh, the Bible says that he didn't teach anything without telling a parable, without telling a story. And he incorporates a big idea, a value within that story. And I try and start each of the 20 big ideas in my book with a story. And each of those stories contains the big idea. So, That's what I try and do when I'm telling stories. For instance, if I'm telling a story about perspective or the way we need to change the way we view things, and all of us need to do that, I often tell the story of my son. He, when he was four, was terrified of trucks. And one day we were walking down the road and he saw a truck and he just grabbed my leg screaming and I tried to calm him down. But a few minutes later, I walked over a foot bridge that went over the road and he ran to the edge of the bridge and one of these trucks went under the bridge under his feet and he turned to me at the age of four and said to me daddy i am enormous and i just love that idea that he didn't change his size the truck didn't change its threat but he changed his position changed his perspective. So a simple story that's happened to many of us, but contains a moral value that we can all pass on to another generation. You remind me too of the older idea that preachers often will share, that if you have children, you have a lifetime of sermon illustrations, because our children teach us so much in the stories of their lives and the things that they say. And so your ability to be able to communicate with your children and then relate that to the real life that everyone else is going through at the same time is very powerful. 
Yes, and I, I know you know the same because you have children of your own and I have three of mine. And occasionally they complain that I use them as a sermon illustration. But you're absolutely right. Every single one of us has a, a mountain of stories if we would just access them. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us on this Friday edition of 2020. Our special guest this hour is Robert Ferguson, preacher and teacher. His new book is called Are You Getting This? Robert, let's talk about the inspiration for every Christian believer when we are sharing our faith, whether it's one-to-one with the friends, within our family, in our workplace. It's this idea that there's some content to the stories that we tell that actually makes a difference in the way that people perceive us and they'll perceive their own reality. And you say that, you know, Jesus, of course, the master storyteller, you, you're basing a lot of your thoughts on Jesus himself. And there's a certain sense, isn't there, that Jesus, when we examine the stories that we read in the, in the Gospels, we're not just looking at the stories, but we're talking about the master storyteller and the way he told them. Uh, give us some more insights here around Jesus as the master storyteller. Well, clearly, Jesus is a remarkable storyteller, and that is uh, played out in the fact that 2,000 years later, most of us can retell the stories almost verbatim. But what I'm really encouraged about Jesus as a storyteller is that he used it as a primary way of communicating his big ideas. If we believe what we believe about Jesus coming to earth to reveal God to us, you would think he would use the best form of communication available, and he told stories. And his disciples didn't always understand what he was saying, and yet they were able to reiterate and repeat the stories that have become central to millions of lives. And so I think that talks about the power and the practice of storytelling. He was a master storyteller. So we retell the stories that Jesus told. As you say, we learn them. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, a lot of those parables, say the parable of the sower or the good Samaritan, they really become part of us and they permeate us and who we are. Sometimes we need that little extra explanation as to what those stories mean. But once the penny drops there, once that's, we might even say that could be revelation from God, then we might never be the same again. This is how powerful these stories are, Robert. Absolutely. And uh, many of them were based on an agricultural idea because he was speaking to an agricultural society. And I had the advantage of having been brought up on a farm in the south of England And so I've seen how sheep operate. I've seen many of the stories he was referring to, and I can understand them. But even with a little explanation, if you're not brought up in an agricultural society, they don't take much uh, explanation. For instance, when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, it is clear that the vine does all the work. And the branch's role is to rest in the vine in order to produce fruit. And that simple idea is an image that all of us in our stress-filled world can apply. 
So we've got these images, as you say, of the vine. Uh, you've got this agricultural society, uh, farming illustrations. Uh, you've got shepherds in all of that. And, of course, Jesus known as the good shepherd. Uh, you've got fishermen in the whole process. And uh, you've got nets and fishing and casting and all sorts of things here, which are really, really powerful things. I note that you uh, have identified something important here. Jesus, the carpenter by trade, but there actually are no stories in the Gospels about Jesus and using carpentry as an illustration. Uh, am I right here in, in saying that's what you've identified? Uh, that's, what I, that's what I've discovered, and I think it says something about his selflessness and his commitment to helping other people. If we are a golfer... We tend to tell everyone stories about our golf. But Jesus could have talked about carpentry, but never did. He talked about other people's situations, other people's concerns. He was so passionate about helping people understand the truths that he was sharing in their world. And I think that says something about him. And it also challenges us. One of the things that I do when I meet people, especially new people, uh, maybe on a bus or just in another nation, I will say, tell me your story. And that immediately builds a bridge with that person and enables me to communicate a story that is going to help them. So when we tell our own stories, it's all very well to say, you know, we learn the stories that Jesus told and those parables. But as you're saying now, you're bringing this into our modern context and when you're in that conversation, whether it's on a bus or a train or uh, you've met someone at a park and you're getting to know them, you're hearing their story and you want to contribute your own. Do our own stories then, if we're talking about our children or, as you say, if you're talking about golf, are they a little bit like modern parables where the content is just as important as the sorts of parable stories that Jesus told? Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's a very good point. I think uh, God has got a story, and in a sense, we are subplots in God's story. Just like when we go to a movie, we, we try and identify characters in the movie that relate to our story. So I think once we've found our subplot in God's story, then telling our story is going to point people to God's bigger story. And I think that's what all of us need to do as we're living our lives. We, we live our stories for people to read. Uh, in the Bible, Paul the Apostle talked about his life as a letter read by everyone. And I think everyone is reading our story as we live our lives. And hopefully our subplot speaks to a bigger plot, namely the story of God. Yes, it's not to say that our stories, our parables, are the same value as Jesus' parables, but our stories make up our testimony. And so we are the ones who will tell our story, and that communicates very deep truths and makes it very, very hard to argue with a transformed life when you've got a life that's been transformed by the stories of Jesus, and it creates another story that is to be told. And I guess when people respond then in a positive way to God, then they come back to those stories about Jesus. So you've got this sort of cyclical thing. Absolutely. And, and there, there is an old expression that a man with an experience or a woman with an experience is never at the mercy of a man or a woman with an argument. 
your story is your story and no one can take it away. And what I find intriguing is that Paul the Apostle, would spend, he spent his entire life telling God's story to the world. And yet in the book of Acts, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and three of them are given over to his testimony, his story, his personal story, how he was converted to Christ. So people who say that our stories don't matter, why then did the history of the early church incorporate such clear details about Paul's own story? So, Robert, when I've got listeners today, no doubt some will be saying, well, you know, I got my own story of my conversion to Christ uh, and it's not as exciting as some of the ones I've heard on the TV or others tell at (laughs) church. How do you identify those elements of your own story that will make them much more relevant when you're sharing your testimony? Let's uh, put you on the spot here. Uh, What do you say to people when you're sharing your testimony? Identify these sorts of elements so that when you're sharing your story, it will make sense and it'll be valuable to someone else. Well, I think you first need to understand that every individual is valuable. Every one of your listeners listening today is valuable. And I remember someone coming up to me and saying, I didn't know I had a story to tell. Well, that's the first hurdle that you need to overcome. You are valuable and you do have a story. And I think that uh, the mundane is way more powerful than we would like to think. If you add up all of Jesus's miracles, they come to around about, depending on how you count them, 35 different miracles. Well, in three and a half years of public ministry, that is one a month. So what was he doing the rest of the time? Well, he was walking, he was fishing, he was reading, he was worshipping, he was eating. In fact, much of Christ's life was mundane, and yet it's in the mundane that he revealed the miraculous. So I talk about people's individual value, but I also talk about looking for the miraculous in the mundane. So in the mundane issues and journey of our lives, uh, as Jesus did, as being an observer of the things that were going on as he was walking from place to place, meeting with people, uh, he was a good observer. And so somehow or other, if we're going to glean something from that, we need to ourselves be able to observe the things that happen in our mundane lives because these are the same sorts of things going on in the lives of the people we're mixing with. Absolutely. And I, and I think it is a skill that many people have lost. I was, as I say, brought up on a farm, and I was brought up by a very curious mother. One of the gifts that she has given me over the years is curiosity, and she taught me how to observe. We would look at plants, and we would look at animals, and we would look at birds, and she literally gave me the skills of observation, which includes looking for differences, looking for similarities, looking for movement. Animal observers tend to look for movement in a field or in a forest, and it's the movement that attracts them to the birds. So I actually use very similar techniques when I'm in a crowd. I would do what my father taught me to do. He said, when you're a shepherd, always look at the edges of the flock, because it's the edges that are threatened. 
So I literally, when I'm in a large congregation, sadly, we're not allowed to have them at the moment. But when I'm in a large congregation, I look at the edges. Robert, just before we talk some more about these skills of being a great storyteller, uh, let me just reflect on this with you for a moment, because uh, Hillsong, as uh, one of the biggest churches uh, in the world, uh, in Australia certainly, uh, it's been very good at passing on its story, the way that Brian Houston has passed on the story for Hillsong over the years, and all the team like yourself, uh, there's obviously power in passing on the story in a significant way. Yes, that's absolutely true. I think they say that the two most uh, significant gifts that a leader should possess is the gift of vision and the gift of communication. If you've got vision but you can't communicate it, you cannot build anything. If you can be a brilliant communicator but you have no vision to communicate, you can't build anything either. But I think that Brian Houston, our global senior pastor, has both a vision and an ability to communicate it. So those are two great skills. Okay, let's get back to our conversation. And I do want to invite listeners to join into our conversation. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. Some books to give away for those who might want to contribute to to our conversation today. You can also respond to our Facebook question asking, is a preacher's ability as a storyteller... The, is, is the difference between learning something and learning nothing. Uh, some responses on Facebook. Virginia says, yes, because that's the method our Lord Jesus used, storytelling. Jan says, Holy Spirit-soaked preaching, teaching, and storytelling delivered to each person who has an open heart. And Meredith says, some people do too much entertaining but simple stories kept on topic are great. Let's pick up on something Meredith is touching on there, Robert. The idea of being a good storyteller, and we're talking here, I guess, in a church context. Uh, if you can tell a great story, is there a imbalance if your great story becomes more important or more significant or more entertaining than the sorts of things you're trying to communicate in your sermon, in your Christian message. What are your thoughts for someone like Meredith who says that? Look, I think she's absolutely right. There is a danger there. If you look at many uh, books on public speaking, non-Christian books on public speaking, they will say there are three reasons or purposes for public speaking. Persuasion, information, and entertainment. But in the Bible, the, there are only two purposes, persuasion and information. Entertainment is never a motive. Now, it can be a methodology, but it's not a motive. It's not the end or, be all and end all. So I think we can use humor. I think it was the Danish comedian, Victor Borgia, who said humor is the shortest distance between two people. So we can use humor, and I think Jesus used humor, but... That was never the goal. Our goal is to persuade people to the truth and inform people about the truth. Certainly that humour captures the attention of people, doesn't it? Uh, But if it becomes the main entertainment, then you've missed the point in what you're trying to communicate. And I guess we're talking here as uh, the the people who stand uh, on the platform at church as, as preachers. Let's talk about ordinary people who are in the pews and see their preacher up front or see preachers all over the place. And there are some tremendous 
communicators all around the world, uh, but there could be an awful lot more great and successful communicators with a few little fine-tuning tips. I know that when you go through your 20 points, you're giving not only an expose and telling stories, but you're also coming up with practical tips, Robert. And, and one of those, uh, given that so many people are terrified of public speaking, you like to speak into that uh, by talking about passion. Uh, give us some insights here into how we might uh, just overcome some of the fears we might have about public speaking. Well, if you if you look at uh, websites about fears, you'll find that the fear of public speaking, as many of us know, is at the top of the list. And I can certainly say that that was true of me. I was terrified of public speaking. Strangely enough, people put the fear of public speaking above the fear of death. So clearly, it is a bad fear. And because I used to be terrified, and I now am no longer terrified, I think I have an opportunity to share some thoughts and secrets and some tips that will help people. A lot of people come to me literally um, unable to speak. <clears throat> a number of years ago, someone said to me, um, I asked her to speak in front of 10 people, and she was so distraught, she ran out of the room in tears. And I called her back, spent five minutes with her, and the next week she spoke in front of 500 people, completely free of fear. And the key is that I try to unlock a passion that she had that was greater than her fear. So maybe some of your listeners are terrified of public speaking, but I use the illustration that if you're a mum and you're terrified of snakes and you can't go near a snake, you will actually step over a snake to get to your child because your love for your child is greater than your fear of snakes. So I say to people, if I can just identify a passion in you, maybe uh, a hatred of injustice or a desire for people to get a value that you want to share, that passion can overcome your fear of public speaking. So there's a whole chapter on fire overcomes fear. And uh, hopefully it's going to help people. Okay, so uh, stirring up, uh, igniting that passion is going to be a powerful part of overcoming that fear of public speaking. How do we talk about the foundations then that can really uh, help us to identify uh, some of those things that are going to be important to us? And I imagine there might be a connection here between the passion that we need to become a good public speaker and knowing what our purpose is in the first place. Because if we're not purposed to be there, we might as well not necessarily try uh, to develop in that area. What are your thoughts on, on purpose as well, connected to passion? Yeah, I, look, that's, that's a, a great point, because two people that, that spring to mind in the Bible, one is Jeremiah. He was unable to speak. He said in Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm too young to speak, I'm too frightened to speak. And Peter, in the New Testament, also uneducated and unable to speak. And yet we find both of them connecting their passion to their purpose. Jeremiah goes on to say, I, when I uh, don't want to speak, the word of God is in me like a fire, and I cannot stop speaking. And Peter was so uh, inflamed by the power of the Holy Spirit that he was able to speak to 3,000 people 
or more on the day of Pentecost. So these two people who were unable to speak in the first place were uh, discoverers of a passion. In Jeremiah's case, the Word of God. In Peter's case, the Spirit of God. But they then connected that passion to purpose. And I think purpose is one of the things in life that all of us must find. They say that of uh, all of us, that the two most important dates in your life, or the days in your life, for the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation in regard to storytelling or any of the sorts of dimensions we're talking about here. 1-800-316-316. Jonathan is on the line from WA. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yeah, hello, Neil. Hey, Jonathan. What are your thoughts yeah, today? You know, yeah, you know, all preachers, we know that uh, in, in other words, we call it open door, open window. Or open door. If you open many windows in your preaching, it is meaningless. You know, storytelling is uh, opening a window for the people to see what you're breaking out. And according to what the speaker said, your main topic should not be left out. We, you, you begin with this, the point you are preaching on, whatsoever topic, and you end with quite conclusion. But if you continue to tell story and don't tell the purpose of telling that story, then become a storytelling that has no meaning. Jonathan, good thoughts there. Uh, let's get a, a reaction, a thought from our guest, uh, Robert. Uh, for Jonathan, when you open lots of windows, too many, uh, too much uh, confusion, uh, keep it a little narrower. What are your thoughts for Jonathan? Well, it's a, it's a great thought, Jonathan. I think, uh, well, as all communicators, we should open windows for people and open doors for people, but we have to make sure that we open the right windows and the right doors. So what I do is if I'm speaking, let's say, a three-point message, we make sure that there are three windows to each of the points, and those windows get people to see what I want to see. Uh, we can easily be distracted in a message. So we've got to choose our windows carefully. But I love the image of the windows. A friend of mine had a little child who always wanted to look out of the window. And uh, one day he asked his dad to pick him up and show him what was outside the window. And he picked him up and showed him. And then he said, do it again, do it again. And then he said to his dad, or he after saying to his dad 10 times, do it again, his dad said, no, you're going to have to grow up uh, before you look out of the window for yourself. But I think that's what we're doing when we're uh, revealing a window or opening a window for people. We're giving them a glimpse into a truth. We're giving them a glimpse into their future. And sometimes with that glimpse, it gives us a hope to grow up into all that God has got for us. Jonathan from WA, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. And interestingly there, as Jonathan uses that illustration about windows, and a great response too, Robert, but uh, you open the window so that people can see. If you've opened the wrong window, uh, you're looking into a completely different direction. So there's a strategic way of actually telling stories that 
for anyone who is into a ministry role, uh, into a ability to be able to communicate deeper truths, you've really got to be very mindful of how you actually contain uh, that uh, that window that you're opening so that you're not just confusing everybody with a whole lot of entertaining stories that mean nothing. Uh, Robert, let me just ask you here, because let's bring it back to ordinary mums and dads here. And I say mums and dads because the most basic stories we learn to tell and we love to tell are to our children. And passing on values, the stories we tell to our children becomes very much an important part of who we are as families. And that, in fact, begins to shape our community. What are your thoughts for parents becoming master storytellers with their own children? Well, look, I've written this book for business people who want to share ideas, parents who want to share stories, uh, preachers who want to share better illustrations. It's for all communicators. So I hope that parents have a look at this book so that they can understand better how to tell stories. My, my parents were great storytellers and every night would read me books and tell me stories. And I do that for my own children and now with my own grandchildren. And in fact, at the beginning of the book, I incorporate a children's story, which I've written about my own life, my own life through the eyes of a squirrel. Because uh, when I was a child, I always loved animal stories. So I encourage people to tell stories that are going to be memorable, that are going to enable your children to see something of great value. And I can still remember some of the stories that my, my parents uh, told me, and I think my children can still remember the stories that I told them. And the stories we tell to our children, they have a plot, and even the way we tell the story describes our world. And as you know, you can have different ways that you can think about the world. So as a Christian parent, you want the stories that you tell and the plot that you tell to contain those things that are true and right according to the Bible, because there's a lot of things that want to take us off track these days. What are your thoughts for how you actually frame the story here, Robert? Well, I think it depends on how old your child is. Each of us goes through different stages of life, and there is a different story for every stage. So the first story, in effect, the first genre of story that you're going to tell your child is about the value of home. That's where our stories all start. We all start on uh, at home, and then we go on a journey of discovery uh, to become mature. So I think all, when, when our children are little, we're telling them stories about home. Peter Rabbit, for instance, is a, is a great story. Many of us have writ, uh, read the book of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter to our children. Well, it talks about the value of home, but it also talks about the journey of discovery, how we've got to overcome giants in our lives in order to uh, become mature and return home a different person. And that really is the story that we see repeated in numerous books, numerous movies. And it's what we're trying to get across to our children. We're trying to say, home is valuable, but you're going to have to go on an adventure. You've got to overcome obstacles and giants. And when you do, you'll return home again, a better and a more mature person. So I think you've got to look at the stage your child is at if they need to overcome giants, you can, you can read them the story of the, uh, the giant, Jack and the Beanstalk or 
the Billy Goat's Gruff or whatever those old stories are, they encapsulate fantastic truths that you can uh, pass on to another generation. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Jill is in Wavell Heights in Brisbane. Hello, Jill. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Very good. good. to be on. Thank you. Jill, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm impressed with what Robert's saying, and I think it's true. I've always been married to a husband who talks a lot and tells lots of stories, and I think we've got lots of grandchildren, and I think they love to hear the stories, and I think sometimes those personal ones, you know, are the ones that they remember and they click with, and it, it means a lot to them. Mm. It's just simple. <laughs> Wonderful stuff, Jill. Your thoughts for Jill, Robert? Yes, Jill. Well, I think just keep doing what you're doing because uh, keep telling stories and make them personal. If you've got a story of faith, tell a story of faith. If you've got a, a story of God's goodness, tell a story of God's goodness. And you're, you will find that your children and grandchildren pass those stories on, not just to their own children, but to other people in their world. So I think it is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Jill, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Interestingly, talking as parents, passing on these sorts of stories to our children, this has such a wonderful, firm, biblical foundation here because this is the story of the children of Israel, isn't it, Robert? Uh, Passing on those covenant values right back to the book of uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, And I find it intriguing that of all the things that God told the people of Israel to do, he said, when your child asks you about what you believe, tell them the story of their deliverance. And then every year, they, have, they celebrate Passover and retell the stories. And even when Israel didn't exist as a nation between AD 70 and 1947, that's a long time, their culture was maintained through the annual and daily telling of stories. And I think that is a powerful testament in itself. Let's squeeze in another call. Kerry is on the line. Hi, Kerry. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm just ringing about, I consider myself a good storyteller. Um, (laughs) But, um, like, the days have gone of telling your testimony, haven't they? And I did go somewhere to church and it was what do they say now too much information it was pretty personal and awful what they said um and i didn't like hearing that that we all sort of knew that that then about that person so but now they don't but i've never been asked to do mine my testimony because they don't now um but it's sort of you know a mix of good and bad it's a mix of um you know very dysfunctional family and awful sort of things there um but then like the good news was that i became a christian so is that helpful to people that is kerry i think this is wonderful and i'll get robert's thoughts here but uh what you're saying is sometimes when people are telling their testimony uh, they're saying a little too much information and sometimes all the bad stuff of the past which is a necessary part of telling a testimony because we have what we were before and what we are now, uh, that's where our testimony often leads us into that change that happens. But sometimes uh, all too much detail about the past can uh, can be a little bit uh, challenging. Let's get a thought here from Robert. Uh, Robert, what are your thoughts for Kerry? 
I, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think people need some hope in this generation. But stories are very powerful in this generation. So keep them hope-filled and redemptive. But you've also got to be real. Uh, to say that you are perfect all your life is just simply not true. If that wasn't true, if that was true, you didn't need rescuing. But you can talk about it very quickly and easily. I wasn't always like this, but God has changed me. And then, as you say, keep it positive, keep it hope-filled, because ultimately the gospel is good news. Kerry, thank you so much for your call. And just before you go, of course, this idea of sharing the gory details or too much information about our past. I guess there are horses for courses and for some people who will identify with those details, the bad things of our past, some of those things need to be shared so that there can be this light of the gospel that can be shined onto those things so that people can be led to a place where they can see God's grace through Jesus. But Kerry, thank you so much for your call. We'll put a line under any other calls now. Running out of time. Interestingly here Robert, uh, because when we are sharing these stories with our children. We share these stories within our church organization. We share these stories with the people in our lives, whether as as you said, on the bus, on the train. But these are the things that help to shape a community and ultimately shape a nation. So we have to work on our storytelling at all of these different levels for us to be effective in making a difference in our communities. Give us some thoughts here, just perhaps as we close, just this value of storytelling and why we just can't let this slide and and, and stay not good in our storytelling ability. Well, the identity of Israel was contained within their story. Their story was part of their identity. And it's the same in Australia. We've got a responsibility to maintain uh, our identity as a hope-filled nation and fill our stories full of that kind of hope. We live in a world that is really desperate and desperately in need of hope. And I want to be one of those people that passes on hope-filled stories to another generation. I don't want to live in such a pessimistic, um, bad news driven world that we just become despairing. I think there's always hope for each one of us in Christ, and there's always hope for a nation. And I want to be that kind of person that tells those hope-filled good news stories that uh, can become, as you say, part of the identity of our nation. Well, Robert, we'll put you in a category of master storyteller and having written the book about it now, are you getting this? And I'll point listeners to how they can get a hold of your new book. It's called Are You Getting This? You can get it from bookstores like Kurong or you can simply Google online and you'll find all the big booksellers are stocking Are You Getting This? And uh, Robert Ferguson, just great getting your insights today. Preacher, teacher, 30 years on the teaching team at Hillsong Church in Sydney. Uh, host of the original series on the Hillsong channel called What Do You See? Uh, just quickly for listeners who might not be familiar with that, uh, how, do, how do you present that program? Um, well, it's, it's a phrase that I've taken from the Bible. God said uh, seven times to the prophets, three separate prophets, what do you see? So I go out into a field, into a forest, into um, nature, and I look at different aspects of the world, and I pose questions about what we can learn from a tree, what we can learn 
from the things that we see and how we can live our lives more fruitfully. Well, keep your eye out for it in the Hillsong Channel lineup, the original series, What Do You See? Robert Ferguson, and you can connect with Robert through hillsong.com. And as I say, get a hold of his book from Kurong and other online booksellers. Uh, Robert, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It's been an honour and privilege. Thank you very much, Neil, for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.